Hey, before we're seated, let's lift up the name of Jesus again. Amen. Give him glory. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, it's good to be back. I don't know, maybe you didn't know this, but I was gone last week on a farming vacation. And, and literally, that's what we do. I go on vacation. I farm for a week with my in-laws in, in kind of northern Illinois. Um, it's a blessing of a thing to do. I've done it for over 20 years now. Um, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned though in a message that whenever I first started doing this, I was driving some of the large farm trucks, hauling grain, and, and I admitted that one night I was coming home with one of those trucks, and it had a 13-speed transmission, and I only used like the first five, and I drove like seven miles at 30 miles an hour, and they're like, why didn't you uh, get home any faster? And I told them my dilemma. Recently, as I was uh, leaving the church that day, uh, one of the ladies who is a CDL driver said, hey, here's how you do that. I want you to know, you can be comfortable, I can now go through all the gears on the semi and get to full speed, okay? So, now I, I tell you that, it's not, not to, not, uh, this week, I, I asked that realization, I realized that's not my job anymore. When I'm on the farm now, if all of my boys are there and we're farming together and family, uh, my four boys, uh, Dawson now at 20, he's a CDL driver himself, so he's helping them with the trucks. Drake, my youngest one, you see this picture, he's driving the auger wagon, does it with ease. Uh, after the football game last Friday, two of my other boys uh, went up there. They're the middle ones, and they were driving the fuel cart and the, the head carts, and they were driving the wagons. And you know what left me to do? Nothing. <laughs> uh, very little. Uh, I, I did some stuff, did some repairs around the shop, and I did this and that. And then my brother-in-law came to me, and he said, Tyson, I've got a job for you today. We're up here in Ottawa on this big field, and, and we've got this pile of dirt in the middle of the field. Could you move this pile of dirt? And I said, sure, I can do that. So I took the, uh, like the skid loader up there, and I loaded it up in the dump truck, and I moved the pile of dirt. And I was like, boy, this must be an important job. He asked me to do it. You know, by the end of the day, he said, could you move that pile of dirt back to where you had it? No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. The reality is, though, I, at times I've realized I have put myself in a position to not have a job on the farm because the boys have taken that place. And I share with you that picture of Drake. Go back to that picture of Drake. That, that is a sign that we're growing young on the farm, that we have empowered uh, the youngest in this next generation to fully be equipped and uh, engaged to do the stuff on the farm that needs to be done. And growing young on the farm, on the family farm, is a beautiful thing. But I share this with you because we know growing young in the family of God in the church is also a beautiful thing. Amen? where we empower and provide the next generation to do the things that need to be done to pass on their faith our faith to them. Our continued goal is to grow young as a church. That the church would develop and empower the next generation to thrive for Christ, to, to fully embrace their faith. Growing young is just one part of our goals to grow, though. It was a year ago this month that the elders and staff met together to come up with a strategy for the next three years, and it was to simply grow. You're like, well, that, that's not that thing of much of a rocket science idea, but we're not just going to grow young. We're going to grow out and grow deep and grow young. Here's the commitment. We're committed to grow out witnessing with the gospel, that we are committed to, to reach the world with the message of Jesus Christ, that he died after living a perfect life, was buried and rose again after three days and conquered both sin and death so we can have life now, not just on the other side of eternity. We're also going to grow deep being devoted to his word. In today's culture, truth is relative to some, but we believe here that God's word is an absolute truth to guide our lives for living. 
And we're, we're committed to grow deep in it, studying it. And now, uh, this month, we are studying how we can grow young walking with one. And I want to be clear about this idea of walking with one that's younger than you. And that's literally what it means. If you're 88, you could walk with someone younger than you uh, in the faith. If you're 18, you could be walking with an 8-year-old. You, you could be 18 and walking with a 40-year-old as long as they're younger than you in the faith. What we're going to do is we're going to be walking with one younger than us to share following Jesus, what it looks like. But unless we continue to make that a priority, it will not naturally take place. Unfortunately, so far this month, we've shared with you the reality that the next generation isn't naturally claiming faith. Many people are walking away from a faith in Jesus, walking away from church. I'm so thankful that Dee and Andrea, last week when I was on the farm, they shared with you the primary responsibility to pass on the faith is not from the pastor. It's not even from the elders, but it's you as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. It's those people that we're closest to, your own friends. It's our responsibility to share our faith. That is why Andrea and the staff, especially in, in the student ministry, have developed Faith Pass. How can we help one another pass on our faith? I want to thank them for sharing that last week. But today, I want to be clear again the language surrounding growing young. It's not just for students. It's not just for uh, kids Drake age, uh, getting ready to go into high school. It's for everyone to be acknowledging that there's someone younger than you in the faith that you can help grow. If you've been a Christian for one day, you need to be looking around to see who you can walk with. I really want you to be considering that. Fathers and mothers, friends, all of us. I learned years ago in ministry that if we're not clear about definitions, they can be misunderstood and our faith can be misunderstood. It became clear to me my first year of ministry in youth ministry in Hersher, Illinois, that definitions can be blurred. And we've got to be very clear about that. It was actually 20 years ago this month that not only was I the new youth minister at Hersher Christian Church, I was also the new sixth grade basketball coach at the elementary school. And it was kind of interesting for the community because they had never had a youth minister, not only in that town, but really in that entire region. It was just something foreign and so after that first game, we had practiced, I think, six practices, and I had 28 sixth graders on my bench with no assistant coach. The principal just kind of watched the door and just made sure none of the, the boys ran off, you know? I mean, so you were there, uh, you're in a battle, they're learning how to dribble and shoot and pass and all these things. We won in triple overtime that afternoon, okay? It's an amazing battle. The boys all of a sudden, they're all in. Hey, this is fun, this is exciting. So after the game's over, some of the boys are waiting around to be picked up by their parents because we played like at 4.30. The game was over by like 5.45. And what was cool is they started asking questions about their new coach because the community was a little uncertain. Who was this pastor who was also the coach? Like, do we even know him? Is this safe? And they assumed I was a priest. Uh, it was a Catholic community. Uh, about five or six of the boys came up to me after that game, and they are wanting to know more about me. They're like, they're confused. Okay, so you're our coach. You're a priest, and we know you have a wife who just had your first kid. How can you be a priest who has a kid? I said, well, I'm really not a priest. I'm a youth pastor. And they were confused, and another boy stepped up and said, um, well, what kind of church do you go to? And I said, well, we're a Christian church. And I said, are, are you Catholic? And, and he says, yes. And another boy chimed in. He said, yeah, my dad said you guys were different. <laughs> he says, aren't you guys like prostitutes? <laughs> and another boy kind of joked, laughed, and, he go, and they knew it was off. And I said, no, we're, you mean Protestant? 
And he goes, yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> Sometimes we can get the wrong definitions in our mind. And we get stuck, especially when it comes to growing young with the next generation because words and language change all the time. And when I tell you that we're committed to growing young, you're like, well, this is just about student ministry and children's ministry. And that would be wrong. It is about walking with one younger than you in the faith. But the majority of the time it is with those younger than us. And it's often with the students that we have around our our community. I'm afraid the church culture, especially in the United States, has lost the definition of what it means to grow young. Honestly, most churches have no idea what the next generation is doing. All they really realize is, oh, feel sorry for our church. There's no young people anymore. And we must recommit to define it and direct our attention to growing young because the best research is not good. Here's what it shows. One out of every two young people would drift from the church and Christ after graduating high school. Those odds are terrible. We've got to refocus on making sure we're growing young, walking with one. Out of 18 to 29-year-olds, they represent 17% of the population in most regions, but on average, only 10% of a church attendance. That shows that young people are like, I'd rather not walk with that. I'm going to walk away. The average church is getting older and declining in size. It's just true. Uh, This was true before the pandemic hit, and it's really been exasperated uh, during the pandemic. And we've got to say, the elders of the church have said, we're going to focus on growing for the sake of God's glory. And one aspect of that is we're going to grow young. Because the world is missing the mark with this. Churches are missing the mark. The bottom line is there's no major Christian tradition growing in the United States. Not Catholic not Protestant, not not Methodist, not Baptist, not even our movement is growing. In fact, I'm I'm sad to tell you that of the Christian colleges that we used to really support and and have a great relationship with, both Lincoln and St. Louis, they do no longer exist as we once knew it. And it breaks my heart because we have lost the mark of transferring our faith and helping the next generation grow in God. But is it all doom and gloom? Absolutely not. That's why we are committed to growing young. A few months ago, the staff began to work through a book called Growing Young. It's really not where God gave us the vision to grow in general, but once we had the vision to grow and we're going to grow out and deep and young, uh, we read this book. Uh, It was brought to us by Nathan and Andrea Andrus. It was a major part of their ministry focus on the East Coast before they came here. And this book has refocused the staff, and I want to share a lot of its truth with you here today. The book, it studied through the Fuller Institute out in California, it studied 250 different churches that are actually growing. But not just growing churches, churches that are growing young with people, specifically ages 29 and younger. They studied these 250 churches for four years. And they found there were six core commitments that churches that are doing well, growing young, and transferring their faith that they did. We're going to look at those over the next three weeks. Here's what they call the growing young will that will never stop within our communities, within our lives. Here are the six that we're going to look at. First is this idea that we need to be empathetic. We're going to cover that one day, so I'm going to move on. Uh, Secondly, uh, is the, the second one here, we'll study it today as well, that we're going to have a message centered on Jesus. 
And I think this is probably the most important of any of them. Well, I want to get to this really quickly here. While a student ministry and attracting the next generation has often been about, hey, having great food and fellowship and friends and fun, while those things are important, this generation has acknowledged that what they want is hope for tomorrow, and it is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. Another one they found is they want warm relationships. There is a great surge again to have meaningful, warm relationships if you're 29 or, or younger. You're like, well, everyone wants that. Yes, but they're hungry for it because you know what they've got primor- uh, primarily over the last two years? A lot of screen time and cold uh, conversations with technology. Well, well, I know that can get us through their time. We need warm relationships. We're also going to know that uh, these churches prior- prioritized youth. And I want to stop right here. This church has done a good job of that. If you look at our children's wing, if you look at the fact that there's been two gyms built onto here, there was a time that if you had a building and and, uh, ministry and programming, the youth would naturally come. While there's still a a great value in those things, it's got to be more than that. But this church, over the last hundred years, has time and time again stepped up to prioritize the next generation. And I want to say thank you for that. Let's praise God for that. That's awesome. Another one is that we need to be uh, the best neighbors we can be. This young generation has really found value in being good neighbors. That's a godly thing. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's all that. Uh, it's this idea that we want to make a difference in culture, not just come to church. Uh, that's one of the reasons this idea of the serve day flowed out that we did just a couple weeks ago. I'm so thankful for those who served, but we need to be good neighbors. But maybe the most important other than the message of Christ is this keychain leadership. You could see that in my story of the farm. That if there's 12 pieces of equipment, Grandpa, who is um, almost 70, doesn't hold all the keys in his pockets. You know what Grandpa does with the keys for all that equipment, including to people like me? He passes them out. He says, I want to empower you to be a part of the plan here. And that's what we need to do at church. We need to uh, allow the next generation to serve and lead now. Whether it's in children's ministry, it's a serve day, whether it's an evangelism, whether it's a mission trip, whether it's on, on stage leading, I'm so thankful that you see multiple, multi-generational worship led here today. Didn't the band do a good job, by the way? They were great. We must continue to make it a priority to grow young. And today we're going to look at two, empathy for today and the message of Jesus. But before we start, I want to pray. Because what we're going to discuss about this will is not just from a book. It's from God's word. I think it's from the heart of Jesus. And I'm, I'm 100% committed to this. If we get these things right, whether you're young or old, and you're trying to, to lead someone to Christ, these six principles will allow someone to walk with us instead of walk away from the church. If these six things do not exist in your lifestyle, in the, in the ministry of the church, people are going to keep walking away. But if we have warm relationships, if we have these things, if we, if we tell them the hope of Jesus, if, if we make them a priority, if we give them responsibility and empower them to belong from the beginning, they will walk with us. It's not just from a book. It's, it's from God's will to show them the hope of Jesus. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this sounds a lot like a book and this sounds a little bit boring. 
You may be thinking that. I want you to know I'm going to pray for you. You're a little bit like the five-year-old kindergartner that came to Wednesday night this week. If this is you, just, just own it. But this five-year-old kindergartner, the true story, uh, came to our Wednesday night programming. It starts at 5.30 right now because they're studying, uh, pl- planning the Christmas program, the children's ministry. You've got to put your uh, mind in this uh, five-year-old's uh, uh, life. He is five. He doesn't read yet. He doesn't know any of these songs. It's a new place. So from 5.30, he's learning a musical, and he can't read the papers he's given. Then he goes into his lesson time, and they play a few games. They have some fun. But then the last little bit of that, Tiffany's trying to teach them this big picture for the night. He has already spent the entire day at school, and then he comes to this place where they're wanting to read, and he's like, this is too much. So at the end of the night, when Tiffany is doing the prayer request, uh, before she has a closing prayer, um, he is overwhelmed for the first night. Tiffany says, anybody have any prayer requests? A little girl raised her hand and said, would you pray for my friend who's sick? Tiffany says, sure, we'll do that. Another boy says, will you, will you pray for those kids that are hungry and hurting? Tiffany's like, great, great prayer request. We'll pray for them. Then that little five-year-old boy who's in kindergarten, who's a little bit overwhelmed after two hours at church, he doesn't really know what's going on. He raises his hand. Tiffany says, yes. Uh, do you have a prayer request? He goes, yeah. Would you pray for me because I'm bored? <laughs> so you know what she did? She prayed for him. I want to pray for you right now that we don't get bored with this, that we don't uh, chuck this away as just information, but this will help people walk with us instead of walking away. Father in heaven, help us to take these, this information, this truth from your word to heart to apply it. This is not just a book. This is from your word. This is from the life of Jesus. This matters. Help us to grow young as we walk with those younger than us in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first is this. We're going to show empathy today to continue to grow for tomorrow. The study found that churches that are growing, especially with young people, don't just want people to show up and be like, oh, I'm sorry that your life is in trouble. You be like us, and then you can fit in. Uh, the world looks often church, and, and, and they, look, they look like, they feel like it's, you come to church, you, you've got to look like them and act like them, then you maybe can fit in. That's not the way churches that grow are, are acting. Churches that grow, especially young, are saying, hey, come however you are, walk with us, share life with us, and we'll, we'll share Jesus with you. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have your ducks in a row, but we will try to walk with you and understand and point you to Jesus because he's the one that can change your life. No matter how hurt much you're hurting, no matter how much you're burdened, Jesus is the answer. It's not you changing your life. We need to come to Jesus and he'll change us all. Jesus put it into words well. He said this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He carries loads. Jesus wants to carry loads. We need to be cautious as church to to be in this place, to be viewed in this way. And if you want to fit in, you got to come already with your ducks in a row. That's wrong. We need to be ready to to be empathetic to people no matter what's going on in their life. Too much of the time to people, church can feel, look like a place that feels sorry for others, but never really see what's hurting in them. See, here's the definition for empathy. Empathy is the ability to see, understand, and share the journey of another person's life. Empathy and sympathy are often confused. Sympathy says, I'm sorry for you. Empathy says, I see you. I get you. 
When people begin to be in fellowship with us, when they walk with us, they want to be seen. They want to be known. They want us not to feel sorry for them, to say, hey, how can I share with you? There's a big difference between being sorry and being willing to share. Guys, if we're going to continue to grow young, we, we need to be more empathetic with the world instead of be like, I can't figure this next generation out. They, they, they just better become like us or they can hit the road. That's wrong. We need to say, wow, I see them and I don't understand them. I'm going to walk with them no matter what. That's what Jesus did. Well, he understood us. He saw us. But he says, I'm going to walk with you. You know how much so he did that? He took on flesh. The Bible says uh, Jesus, uh, the one who's always been, the one who created everything, he took on flesh. He became a human and made himself in the form of a man. So he could empathize with us. Look what it says in Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us with our weaknesses. It's talking about Jesus. But we have one who is tempted in every way, just as you are, yet did not sin. Jesus didn't say in heaven, oh, I feel sorry for those sinners going to hell. He says, I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to be tested in every way, and I'm going to stand strong so I can be their path to righteousness through my sacrifice. That's empathy. He says, I'm going to walk with you to the point of death. And, 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 but we oftentimes, if we're not careful, the United States church is like, if you come with us, you better be like us or we'll leave you behind. That's wrong. It's got to change. Amen? Amen? And this church sometimes does it well and sometimes we don't. But we need to look to the example of Jesus. Do we do that same thing? I think about the story with him at the, the pool of Bethsaida. It's in John chapter 5. You can read the story this week. We, we covered it in detail probably a year ago. But this guy is at the pool, and he's been there a long time. He's crippled. He's wanting to get in the water because, remember, when the water is stirred, if you get in the pool, it's, it's thought that you would be healed. But he's there for years, always the last one to get in the pool, so he's never healed. Jesus, the Bible says, shows up that day on the Sabbath. He probably shouldn't even been doing what he was doing, but he's looking to care for people. And he sees this man. The Bible says he sees him. Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't go up to the guy and says, hey, next time if you want to be healed, you got to get in. No, he sees him. The Bible says he understands his dilemma. The Bible says that he knew his struggle. And then he went and told him what to do. No, notice this. Jesus sees him. He understands him. And then he slows down to ask him a question. Boy, you know what I'm tempted to do when I see people hurting, when I see people wasting their life, when I see people struggling? I'm like, I see you. I know your problem. Let me fix it. You know what Jesus does? He says, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus already know the answer? Yes, but he is modeling for us this empathetic nature to say, I want to walk with you. I want to help you in this. You know what Jesus asked him after he sees him and knows the struggle? He says, do you want to be well? I mean, I think we need to ask those around us, especially the next generation, what's going on in your mind? Do you even know what you want? Do you know what you need? Instead of just telling them. Jesus understood his position. He was willing to take time to get to know him. See, empathy is seeing someone and taking the time to share with them. Walking with them. Asking questions. As a church, we need to stop simply being sorry for people. And hoping we can change them, but point them and walk with them to be changed by Jesus. We must understand it's not our job to judge anyone, especially the next generation. It's our responsibility. It's our opportunity to journey with them. So let me pause here. Who are you journeying with? I've asked this a different way two weeks ago. Who are you walking with? 
And you're like, well, it's my kids. I, I want to challenge you not only walk with your kids, which that's your responsibility, but walk with one person younger in the faith with you on a regular basis. Understand them, journey with them. And you got to slow down to ask questions, see what's on their minds. This is dangerous. It went okay for service. We're going to do it again. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is on the minds of the next generation? No, really, I want some feedback. What do you think is on the minds of the people of the next generation? If you're 20, uh, go to the even younger than you. But, but what's on the minds of someone younger? You Anybody have a clue? Video games. Okay, video games. Video games? Yeah. All right. So uh, first per service, this wasn't said, but we'll go ahead and say it here. Sex. <laughs> yep, that, you, you guys, it, we're at church, we can't talk about that, right? Money. Yes, what's another one? Money. Anything else, what's on their minds? Acceptance. Acceptance, fitting in. Did you read the book? Okay. I'll go ahead and tell you what some of these questions are. Well, sometimes we're really hard on people. Uh, this next generation, we look at the millennials, and, and maybe you've got a full-time job, you're working 60 hours a week, and, and you know a millennial who works uh, six hours a week, and then they play video games for 40. You're like, all they care about is video games. So we, we can, we can uh, be hard on them. We think they're only thinking about sex or, or, or money, but really what they're thinking about, stuff like Kirk said, fitting in. Look, here's the first question the book found that they're thinking about. Who am I? They want to know who they are. Someone said first service, they're thinking about me. Yes, but not in a selfish way. They just want to know who they are. Here's another thing they think about. Where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? Thirdly, they often think about what difference can I make? What difference do I make in life? So as we're walking with them, let me give you some tools to kind of speak into them. Not seeing them and be like, hey, I can fix you. But when you walk with them, here's some truths. When, when you hear them ask the question, who am I? Celebrate with them that they're a child of God created in, in his image. Now, you don't say that right off the bat. You may say it in your own language. But remind them, God created them in his image for a purpose. And, and that, that truth is based all through scripture. But in Genesis 1, it says God created them in his image, in their image, in, in the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. He created them male and female. I mean, that, that is truth right there. Our world has an identity crisis, especially in, in young people. And I want you to know we can speak truth to them through God's word. They're created in his image. For a purpose. Number two, when you hear them asking, where do I fit in? Invite them quickly to be a part of your life. Hey, you fit in with me. I'm going to walk with you. I want to I get to know you. And let them know they're invited to, to be a part of God's family through what Christ has done. In, you see this all through Scripture also. But in 2 Corinthians 5, it specifically says that we're a part of God's family, not because of the good we've done, but because of grace. See, this next generation is not so interested in doing all the right things for the right thing's sake. They are interested in doing the right things because it's, it's good. But really, they need to know that the reason we belong is not because of being good. We're never good enough. We're, we can belong because of grace. And when we see them, what difference we can make? Speak into them about their gifts and abilities, the way God's blessed them, the way you see them. Proverbs 12 this week, we've been reading through the Proverbs as a church family. Proverbs 12, we see Solomon speaking to his son, encouraging him, and giving him encouragement and lifting him up. Guys, there's no surprise that the Proverbs are primarily written to the next generation, to, to Solomon's own son. He is doing it to encourage him. So let me ask you, who are you walking with? What are you hearing from them? What, what do you see? 
How can you speak into their lives about where, who they are, where they fit in, and how God has made them to make a difference? You're like, I don't even know how to get started. Here's the best way to get started. As you're hanging out with someone younger than you in the faith, and they begin to tell you about themselves, whether it's about uh, them just saying about themselves or about their concerns, and you don't know what to say, right off the bat you can say this, tell me more. Tell me more. If you're like me as a pastor, I see former principals in the area, in, in the room, and teachers and, and counselors. We have a temptation to hear one thing, and then we try to fix it because we're sorry for their pain. The, the greatest thing we can do sometimes is continue the conversation and say, tell me more. And be a good listener. Be a good, have a good listening ear. Remember that team I told you about 20 years ago, those 28 sixth grade boys? There was one boy on the team, and I've told you about him before. His name's Nathan. Don't, don't show his new picture yet. Nathan on the team was probably the 28th man. If I could have cut one, it would have been him. He came every day to practice the first month sick, like runny nose just all over, you know, one of those sixth graders. He was so thin, it was almost dangerous for him to get in some of the drills. He cried almost every practice for a month. I went home to, to, my, to Tiffany, and I said, I can't take this little guy anymore. He, he's driving me crazy. I've got all this coaching to do, and I'm over here counseling him on the side. But you know what Nathan would tell you, even though he was the littlest and the most underdeveloped then? After spending time with him, he began to hang out with Tiffany and I, and he began to go to church. And I found out after listening, he had just lost his dad to an automobile accident. And he was in great need, and he was just coming to to practice because he wanted to be with friends. He wanted to, to, to walk away from some of the pain at home for a while. And he started hanging out at church. And over the years, while I told him clearly about Jesus, you know what he needed most for a while? is just someone to listen. And Nathan, here's a picture of him right now. This past month, he's now accepted the, the lead pastor position at a large church in Lafayette, Indiana. He just celebrated his daughter's first birthday, and he went from the scrawniest kid I know to he can bench press like 350. He's huge. And a lot of it is due to the fact that Tiffany and I listened for a long time. And now he's doing the, the same to, to people around him. I'm so thankful that, that we can invest in the next generation. It makes a difference. It, it's happened to many of you. But with all that said, I want to get to point number two, and we're well over halfway done. The, this next point is not only we need to be empathetic, but we need to share Jesus' message to grow young. Let me be clear about this. While there's a lot of things to do to begin to walk with a young person, what someone younger than the faith that you needs to hear, if you have one chance to share with them the good news of Jesus, his message that he came to save them, that he put on flesh, that he uh, hung on a cross, that he died a, a sinner's death, and he took on our sins and was buried, and three days later uh, had victory over sin and death because he never sinned himself, but he took our sin on to save us. That's the good news, and we can live. And I give the next generation credit. They want a message of hope. They want a message of change. The temptation in the 80s and 90s that I grew up in was if church was going to have a growing youth ministry, you had to have a, a big screen TV. That meant 27-inch in the youth room, all right? You, you had to have the best cookies and, and food. You, you had to have games. You, you had to have uh, boys that could track girls and girls that could track boys. While all those things can still matter, you know what the next generation needs? The message of Jesus Christ. 
that he can change your life, that when their home is a wreck, when, when they don't know about their future, that Jesus is with them today, yesterday, and forever, like Ben was talking about. The next generation needs to hear a central message of Jesus. This stepped on my toes, at least how I was raised. What the book said was, and I understand this, we need to worry less about rules that make us good religious people. Because what does that really do? How, how good can you be being religious? We need to uh, care less about the rules that make us good religious people and more about growing relationship with Jesus because that's what changes things. Now be careful if you're a teenager. You're like, Tyson said rules are out. That's not what I said. <laughs> I have many rules in our house with four boys that are roughly teenagers. But I care more about their relationship with Jesus than if they handle all the rules perfectly. And we need to do the same with our grandparents and our friends. We need to show with them it's about a relationship, not about being right. Here's another thing the book highlighted, that we need to worry less about heaven later and more about living for Jesus now. Let that sink in for a little bit. That's a little harder to process. Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10. He said, I've come to that you may give life and have it to the full. When Jesus said, I want to give you life and life to the full, did he say, hey, I want you to have an abundant life, but you got to wait till you die. Just kind of get through things until that point. No, when he declares that we can have life to the full, it starts the moment you trust him with everything. That life is meant to start then. It, our hope for the future doesn't happen after we die and get to walk on the, the, the streets of gold and, and, and walk through pearl gates. The life that is meant to be lived starts with the moment you trust Jesus. And our next generation is attracted to that. We need to, to uh, focus more about living now rather than what's going to happen in the future. One student put this in the book, and I love this quote. It doesn't sound like good news if it doesn't apply until after you're dead. I like that. What good news is it? Like, hey, I want to share with you some good news, but it doesn't really get good until after you die. That's not Jesus' message. His message is you can live now, and it is awesome. It is powerful. Hey, if you have been praying the Lord's Prayer since you were a child, no matter how old you are, you, you get this concept. Look, look what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. Pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying there is that right now there can be aspects of godly kingdom on earth as we live for Christ. Right now. It doesn't have to wait. I'm so thankful Missy got it. Yesterday I stood right here. It was, it was 24 hours ago right now that I stood here and did Missy's funeral. I met Missy uh, less than two months ago. She was invited to church by her friend Paco Newman. How many of you know Paco Newman? Okay, many of you know Paco, great guy, and now is becoming an elder of the Restored Church in Highland. But Paco started inviting his friend Missy to this church because she's a little closer here. I don't know all the reasons. Missy came to church a few times. One of the Sundays after I met her, she said, can I talk to you about Jesus? I said, absolutely. She came that next Tuesday. I, get, I shared with her everything I knew about Jesus because she was hungry. Uh, I didn't tell you this about Missy. She's dying of cancer. 
And I, I laid out the gospel and how we can live now. We don't have to wait till we die. We can live now. She's been, that's what I, I want to live now. I want to make the most of my life. And she was a great woman. Don't get me wrong. But, but on Tuesday, she claimed that. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. That next Thursday, she says, I'm going to have my family and friends here. And we're, I'm going to be baptized. I want to be born again and, and go be immersed into Christ's death and into his resurrection. And right here on that Thursday evening, she did that in front of Paco and her husband and her boys. And we celebrated she came to church one more day. That next Sunday, she came to church. That was the day that I talked about the fact I had trouble driving the 13-speed transmission. Missy met me in the back. She said, Tyson, let me tell you, she's a CDL driver. She said, let me tell you how to do that. She was living. Last week, she passed away. But Missy didn't have to wait till heaven to live. She completely trusted Jesus and recently she told me, she says, I'm not afraid of anything. I have life in Jesus. I wonder if that's true of you. Do you realize that, that the best, while, while heaven is perfect and we get to be with Jesus, he's with us now in his spirit and, and walking with us, uh, living for him is truly amazing right now. His hope changes everything. That's why Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Get this. Peter says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an exclamation point there. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He says, This is good now. Praise be to the God, the Father of heaven now. Are we living like that? Or do we leave here and come here and be like, Let's go to church today and maybe we'll get out by. You know, before one. <laughs> I hope the songs are fine, but I hope, I hope we can enjoy some. Are we truly living in here and out there with the passion of Jesus Christ in our hearts? Because he has changed everything. Guys, here's my heart. That when we're willing to walk with the next generation, and we show them the passion of living for Jesus. The church will not be made up primarily of old people who are looking forward to heaven, but it'll be filled with people living now with the joy of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to grow young and grow out and grow deep. Lord, let us be contagious with our joy. I thank you for Missy that she came to know Jesus. A woman in her 50s uh, struggling with her health. Father, I pray for every person that doesn't know you, that, that we know, that, that we would impact in a huge way. I thank you that Paco walked with her and told her about Jesus. Help us to make that decision today, to do it with our friends and our family. Lord, if someone is here and has decided to follow you, I pray that they make that decision public and that we would walk with them moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? If you have a decision to make today, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, don't wait. If you just need to, to celebrate, uh, release that in worship. If you want to start walking with someone, go ahead and grab them and say, I want to walk with you. Whatever the decision may be, let's, let's move forward together. Let's sing.